Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV. Best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. Welcome, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. Rob Dreesline with you for the next one hour on a, uh, a balmy, beyond balmy, very warm Sunday, June 4th, 2023. Yeah, it's a, it's a touch hot for, for me this early in the year. Uh, but I hope everybody enjoyed, uh, you know, really a fairly glorious weekend. If you had access to a lake, had access to a boat, uh, got out, did some swimming, cooled off, uh, you uh, enjoyed really the best of Minnesota. We won't mention the mosquito thing. I, I know that's been in the news. And <laughs> I saw a good news scroll somewhere that said, yes, the mosquitoes are for real this year. Uh, so if, if you're dealing with some uh, some tough mosquitoes, it's not just you. Uh, but a glorious weekend, and I hope everyone is uh, coming home, looking for, and I hope everybody had a great Memorial Day weekend uh, still seven days ago. Also, uh, a lot to talk about, as usual. Uh, we're going to get a little non-consumptive. Hey, it's summer. Obviously, there's a lot of fishing. We're going to talk some fishing. Uh, musky opener weekend. Musky opener was yesterday, so we will talk with Paul Hartman. Uh, he's a guy that runs the Muskie Expo. We'll talk to him about how this weekend's Muskie opener went. Also want to talk to him about a story that ran in the Star Tribune this weekend by Dennis Anderson, and I'll talk about that a little bit more probably this segment. Uh, at 5.15, however, we will have Luke Skinner with us. He's from Three Rivers Park District, and we're going to talk to Luke uh, about uh, mountain biking. Like I say, a little non-consumptive topic as, as we're into the heart of uh, summer here already. So, okay, it's not technically summer, still spring, but uh, it sure feels like summer. And uh, there's some new opportunities for mountain biking at Three Rivers Park District, specifically out at uh, in Carver County. Uh, we'll talk about uh, all sorts of mountain biking opportunities uh, around the state with Luke. I want to uh, talk a bit about some headlines before we uh, get to our first break. And by the way, if anyone wants to call in, we, we definitely are going to have time during the last segment. You can uh, give us a call at 651-461-9226. Always happy to, uh, to take calls and chat about outdoor topics. Uh, uh, May 31st, which was what, this past Tuesday, the turkey season wrapped up. We don't have final numbers on that yet, but it's my understanding uh, that the uh, the back half of the turkey season was very good, uh, and uh, that the, in the final wash it's going to be probably a top two, three, four season, uh, which considering the uh, slow start that it got off to is pretty cool. So uh, congratulations to turkey hunters out there who saw a great start to their hunting. Uh, last week I didn't have a lot of time to talk about that Supreme Court ruling on the Clean Water Act. Pretty big deal. Uh, came down on Thursday, May twenty fifth. Uh, it was uh, it was a nine to zero ruling on whether or not some property out in Idaho, Sackett property, the Sackett family owns, uh, whether or not they could fill a wetland out there. And I, I it, it's amazing to me that these little tiny, you know, disputes go all the way to the Supreme Court and then affect literally millions and millions of acres of wetlands around the country and determine whether or not those wetlands are protected, which has a lot of ramifications for waterfowl uh, and, and, all, and all sorts of other you know wildlife species. Uh, and it was a disappointing ruling. It was 9-0. They said this was not a wetland. Then they split 5-4, I guess, on kind of how to implement it. Kavanaugh broke with the other uh, Republican-appointed justices, uh, with the uh, with the, with the min- but he was still in the minority. He was still five four, and you know so basically all bets are off. And and you know some conservation groups out there trying to determine what this all means. And, and you know some folks saying 
really, you look at a wetland now, it, it's almost like going back to pre back back to the, the like the nineteen sixties era environmental laws. Now, don't quote me on that out there, landowners. We got to see how this all shakes out, but uh, it's hard to believe. I mean, this was a fifty year old law. Uh, that protected you know all sorts of small isolated wetlands around the country, and we got conservation groups saying that literally millions of acres of them uh, now could be you know not protected, and that's that's bad news for ducks. It's bad news for hunting and fishing. Uh, people out there might disagree with that, but uh, you know, I mean, any mainstream conservation group that's not afraid to tell the truth, uh, that's what they're saying. Uh, you know, we've got a, we got a Supreme Court that's just. Uh, a lot of so uh, you know some of these same folks are telling me, Rob. Yes, we can be upset about this ruling. What we need is we need Congress to write a law that the Supreme Court can't tear apart. Uh, that the the original law was not real clear about wetlands and whether or not they were protected. So, I guess that's on Congress. And there's been attempts to try to rewrite this after some rulings in the early 2000s. There was the Rapinos ruling in 01, and there was another ruling in 2006. Minnesota's very own Jim Oberstar took a run at it. He called it the Clean Water Restoration Act, uh, and it uh, predictably in Congress, even back you know 15 years ago, went nowhere. Uh, so it's hard to believe that uh, Congress is going to tackle something like this now. But uh, I, I don't know how what we do here, other than write your congressperson and say we we need a stronger federal law protecting wetlands in this country. Minnesota's got a pretty good law, state law on the book, so I'm, I'm told that what we have left for wetlands in Minnesota probably are safe. But WCCO Outdoors has learned that ducks migrate, so you know the ducks that hatch here are going to go somewhere else where the wetlands could be trashed, and that's therefore bad for Minnesota ducks too. So we, you know, we shall see. And I would encourage folks uh, if, if you, yeah, I'm sure there's a ton of people out there that disagree with me on this and say, uh, you know, hey, it's my land, I'll do what I want. Uh, but uh, we're all connected by water in this country, and I sure would like to uh, like to see wetlands protected for a multitude of reasons. And as I was saying, you know, it's disappointing that the justices of the Supreme Court don't see this. Uh, I guess to the point of some of my friends who are saying, "Rob, you know what? They're just interpreting the laws." Is okay, fine, fair enough. But I wonder how many of the justices could tell the difference between I don't know a wood duck and a wood stork. Uh, that's probably a little unfair, but my point is I think a lot of people in Washington, D.C., running this country are detached from uh, what's going on out in, in the great outdoors. All right, that is my rant for this week's uh, edition of WCCO Outdoors. Let's t- let's go talk some fun things, and we'll talk a little uh, mountain biking when we return. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. Welcome back, everybody. WCCO Outdoors, Rob Dreesline with you till 6 p.m. Then stay tuned. 60 Minutes will be with us. And then uh, Steel Talking with Jerry Lynn Steele at 7 p.m. So some great content coming up on the station after uh, after I take off. I want to uh, jump into a, uh, uh, an, it's a, it's a non-hunting, a non-fishing topic. That's almost exclusively all I've ever spoken about on this broadcast. But uh, there's some non-consumptive, non-consumptive things going on, too, this time of year, including mountain biking. That's something I participated in a little bit. I'm not real good at it, technically speaking, I'm, I'm, you know, but I can gear down and I can get up a hill, that sort of thing. But 
it's a great sport, and it's really prime time for that now. And there's some new opportunities here in the Twin Cities to get out and participate in mountain biking. And so we've got a guest joining us now, Luke Skinner. He's the Associate Superintendent for Three Rivers Park Districts here in the metro area. Luke, are you with me? I am. Thanks Luke. for having me. Hey, Luke, thanks for calling in. First off, let's remind listeners what Three Rivers Park District is. I think everyone knows what the DNR is and what state parks are and what city parks. Where does uh, Three Rivers uh, fill in, uh, kind of in the middle in, in all those niches, right? Sure. Three Rivers Park District is a special park district that um, has parks that primarily in western Hennepin County, suburban Hennepin County, but we also have parks in Scott County and in Carver and a little bit in Wright. We have 27,000 acres, 24 parks, or 20 parks, and we have over 170 miles of regional trails. So for anywhere in the West Metro, a lot of that park system is three rivers. I spend a lot of time running around some of these parks with my family, uh, going for walks, uh, whatever else have you. It's, it's, uh, it's a, quite a nice little bonus jewel for public lands here in our metro area. So congratulations for all you're, you're doing to encourage outdoor recreation on these lands, 27,000 acres, nothing to sneeze at. So you're an avid mountain biker, I understand, Luke. Uh, there, <laughs> there's a lot of mountain biking opportunities on, within Three Rivers, but even uh, beyond that in the metro. And then, of course, you get outstate. There's some pretty cool places to go mountain biking in Minnesota. Yeah, mountain biking is, is one of those fast-growing sports all across the country. And the Twin Cities is blessed with having a lot of good places to mountain bike, both in the west metro and in the east. And you're right, Duluth. Um, the Iron Range in Cuyuna and a variety of places. Um, yeah, mountain biking is it's a growing sport, and the amount of sites that you can mountain bike are growing as well. To break into mountain biking, I mean, you could spend a lot of money if you want. I've I've got a decent off-road bike that I, like I said before we introduced you, I, I mess around with a <laughs> little bit. But, I mean, it's one of those things you can get as deep into it or as shallow into it as you want, right? You can buy an affordable mountain bike and, and give this sport a try. Absolutely. You can, you don't have to have anything super fancy to get started. A lot of the trails in the, in the metro or across the state um, are, are what we call cross country or single track trails that you, you can have difficulties from green, just like on an alpine ski run, from green to blue to black to expert. You can pick and choose. And as, as you say, as you dive into it, you can spend a lot of money on a bike, but you don't really have to. You can get in with a you know, budget entry level mountain bike and have a great time um, throughout the metro. So I'm one of those guys, I'm probably more the type of guy that likes to, you know, see a little country when I'm mountain biking. If, if I'm out, I want to cover some ground. Sure. But there are guys that are really into what they call kind of the technical aspects of the sport. That'll, I mean, they'll, they'll spend a half an hour explaining, you know, how to get over a log. Uh, <laughs> to, to tell us about that. Are you one of those guys, Luke? Well, I like to ride cost country like you all over. I like to put in the miles, and there's some wonderful trails to do that. Three Rivers actually has four Four systems uh, down at Murphy Hanrahan Park in Scott County, um, Carver Park Reserve, which we'll, t- we'll talk about the playground area out there, uh, Lake Rebecca Park Reserve, and then Elm Creek. Uh, at, out at Carver Park Reserve, what we call our Monarch Single Track, we just built what we call the new Paradise Playground in conjunction with a uh, One Track Mine Foundation, which is a nonprofit that helps develop and promote mountain biking across the country. And yes, we built, they have new jump lines and uh, drops, like six foot drops down onto on like on a ski jump drop, they have skill zones, and it's like the progression, right? People start out wanting to just mountain bike on a single track, and as you go, that, that progression of mountain biking is people wanting more skill, right, of all types, big jumps, drops, and a variety of things. And so it gives that opportunity for folks to try something new um, and of all levels as well. 
You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. We are chatting with Luke Skinner from Three Rivers Park District about mountain biking opportunities here in the metro area and beyond. Uh, he's talking about a, a new property. It was opened out at uh, Carver Park Reserve in Victoria, so West Metro. That's uh, the uh, Monarch Single Track Trail and Paradise Playground. Single track, that's kind of a unique mountain biking term, isn't it? It, it basically refers to just this narrow path where you, you just a single file go cruising along, right? That's right. Think of a footpath through the woods. Any hiking trail you might find, um, but they're purpose-built. They're purpose-built to uh, for mountain biking, so they flow well, they manage well, and they and, and they navigate that way. So the recreational rider has something really fun to do. Back in the day, we used to use logging roads, right, or footpaths, and they weren't built for that, a little more challenging. Now most trails are purpose-built for mountain biking in that way, and, of course, these new skills areas as well. Why would someone want to drop on their bike? Uh, I, I I don't mean to be flippant here, Luke, but I, I broke my clavicle biking four years ago. It wasn't pretty. I went, I went, yeah. I went over tea yep. kettle, tea kettle, and and uh, over the handlebars, busted my clavicle. Uh, you know, went into the ER, and they said, "Yeah, you, you they said, are you mountain biking?" <laughs> I was like, "Well, yeah, that's exactly what I was doing." Um, you know, I I don't mean to scare people. I was a novice then, and I was probably going too fast, et cetera, et cetera. But I think about that in terms of asking the question, why would someone want to drop on their bike? What's that all about? Well, um, think of, if you want, an analogy might be wintertime. Think of, a, go to a ski area, and they put in these terrain parks with, with jumps and rails for all the snowboarders to do all you know, the fun stuff they do there. It's very much similar for mountain biking. People just want a more challenging skill. A drop isn't just straight down onto flat ground, right? You, you build in a platform, you roll off of it, and it's like a ski slope drop. So you're dropping down, you can continue to roll down anywhere from one-foot drops to two-foot all the way up to six-foot drops. So you can, and so kids love it, not just kids, adults. And uh, just to see them do it, I watched this weekend. It was my the talent out there and the people flying off that was amazing. And then we also built big jumps, too, where they're you know catching quite a bit of air and they can do their little things in the air and, and, and land as well. So it's um, it's just that progression of mountain biking. People started on the single tracks like we talked about, mm-hmm. and now people really wanted more challenge and more excitement. Well, I don't really understand ski jumping either, but you know what? If the young folks out there love it, more power to them. I'm glad they've got access to a facility like this. I, I presume, or, you know, you can, again, we talked about you can get into it in any level financially, but you can also kind of, uh, w- you know, wade into the shallow water here a little bit on some of this technical stuff too and, and, uh, and, and, and advance as much as you want with it. Absolutely. Every system that we build, we have green trails, which are the easiest one. And then the blue is the intermediate, and the black is the expert. And we have plenty of trails everywhere. Every trail system we have, we have green, blue, and black trails. So you can spend all the time learning and using easy trails first to learn on before you try something that's a little more difficult. And we want everyone to come out, right? We want everyone to come out and try mountain biking. It doesn't have to be just the, you say, the hotshot kids who go flying off the jumps. We want everybody and families to come out. The number of kids you see out there on little bikes with their parents is awesome, and they're cruising all over the trail system. How many miles of uh, mountain biking trails are within the Three Rivers Park District? Do, do you know that we number? Have over, yes, we have over 50 miles of a single track trail. Um, at each site, it averages between 12 and 13 miles, roughly, and we have four of them. Um, so um, it's, a, it's, it's a lot of trails there. And on the east side, there's also a lot of trails on the east side of the metro as well. People can have some great opportunities around. But, yeah, Three Rivers has over 50 miles. And Luke, there are times when the trails are closed, right? We should we should let folks know that. It, you don't don't you know load up and say, oh, by golly, I'm going to give this mountain biking thing a try uh, the day after two inches of rain, right? 
That's right. Rain is the number one challenge for most for most trail systems. When you get rain, they get wet and sloppy, and we usually close them temporarily until they dry out a bit, and then we open them back up. And we, we have it on our website. You can track and follow. Um, and there's apps out there, too, that have all the systems within the metro that you can watch to know when they're open and closed because of weather. The mountain biking community is awesome, and they help self-police, and they really they don't want they want to be have the best trails they can. So they really uh, do a good job of uh, maintaining that as well. So, like we said, a ton of trails here in the metro. If folks want to get started, then you go outstate, and like you mentioned the Cuyuna, uh, Iron Range trails. Those are absolutely incredible. Uh, you can, I mean, you could spend a whole summer visiting mountain biking destinations here in Minnesota every weekend pretty easily, right? That's correct. It's growing. Uh, they put a lot of. Um, investments into trail systems across the Northland. Cuyuna is a Minnesota, it's a Minnesota DNR system, um, a Cuyuna State Rec area. They also built trails up in the Grand Rapids at Tioga and Redhead. And they also built some brand new, beautiful trails up on the North Shore in Split Rock, your Split Rock Lighthouse. There's a whole trail system there called Split Rock, well, I'm sorry, Split Rock Wilds. And then they have one called Jackpot that's up near Lutzen and goes right from Lutzen Ski Area over to Toffee. Um, beautifully brand new built trails, and they're just world class. They're just awesome. There's some of these big-time, then, races, right? You can do 50- or 100-mile races. I think there's one on the North Shore. That, that, like, the king of them all is Leadville 100 out in Colorado. I, I saw a video on that, and at one point when I was younger, I thought, wow, that, that'd be a great life goal. Like, I don't think it's going to happen. Luke, that, that's something you're into? Uh, I, like, I, liked, I used to race in my younger days. I, now I just love to ride. Sure. So I don't race as much anymore. But the Leadville 100, yeah, it's at 10,000 feet and 100 miles at altitude. Um, it's not for the faint of heart. Mm-hmm. And that there, yeah, there's a big race in Minnesota coming up in a couple of weeks called the um, Lutzen 99ers. You right. can ride 100 miles, and it starts and finishes near Lutzen, Re- at Lutzen Resort at, at the ski hill there. And uh, so it's fun. Yeah, maybe I'll get my butt back in shape, and I'll, and I'll give that a shot. Uh, hey, before I let you go, uh, there's also a little bit of deer hunting that goes on at some of these Three Rivers parks, correct? I mean, it's by permit, but uh, do you know anything about that? I know I don't mean to surprise you with, with a non-mountain no. biking question, but I thought I'd ask you, Luke. No, absolutely, we do. We do it for deer management. So we, we have our natural resource team goes out, and we, do, we fly counts every winter. We manage. We know what the herd is in all of our parks. And then we do have hunts. In some of the smaller parks, we do archery hunts. And then there's two parks where we do um, rifle hunts. And they, those are like every other year. And it's strictly to manage the herd. But also, it's a great opportunity for if you're a local hunter and you want to stay close to home, you get an opportunity. And you're right, it's by permit. We only have so many slots per year. But it's a, it's a great opportunity. Do you know uh, when that last one was? Yeah. Do you know when that application period is, Luke, off the top of your head? Ballpark? I do not. It's usually in the fall. It's mm-hmm. usually late fall. We don't do it this time of year. Okay. Uh, we alternate. It was Elm Creek. We actually hosted the deer opener last year up at Elm Creek. And I think over 70 deer were harvested um, up there last year around that time. And next, our next hunt, I believe, I'll have to look at the dates. You can go on our site and look. Um, we, and this is in conjunction with the DNR. Mm-hmm. They have their system there that when they do their hunt systems. But we'll be Carver Park Reserve, just what we were talking about. We'll be there. So it kind of alternates between those two for the rifle hunts, and then we do um, or shotguns. I'm sorry, shotgun hunts. And, but, course, um, and we should point out these these parks are closed to other activities when that hunting goes on. Uh, yeah, Luke, for the most part. Yep. <laughs> Luke, I'm out of time. I sure appreciate. It. We covered a lot of ground. Thanks so much for spending a segment with me. It's good to get to know you. If folks want to get more information on the mountain biking opportunities, they can go to threeriversparks.org, I presume, and probably uh, there's probably also a link to some of those uh, deer hunts that we mentioned too. That's that's correct. And on June 24th, we're having a trail spin 
come out and try biking for the first time out of Carver Park Reserve on that weekend of June 24th. June 24th, and again, you can find information at threeriversparks.org. That's correct. Luke, pleasure getting to know you. Thanks so much for calling in, and have a great uh, rest of this uh, June weekend. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate all he does. Luke Skinner from Three Rivers Park District. Let's uh, get in a break. We're going to get back to uh, hunting and fishing, specifically musky fishing, when we return. This is WCCO Outdoors. Welcome back, everybody. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. It is 530, almost 535 p.m. We're here until 6 o'clock. Uh, we've got a couple segments left. Might have time to take a call or two in the final segment. Give us a call at 651-461-9226. I want to jump in now and get back. We talked mountain biking in the last segment. I want to get back and talk fishing. Yesterday was the musky opener. So here to talk about musky fishing and maybe some other topics is Paul Hartman. Paul runs the Minnesota Musky Expo that's uh, held, what, in March every year at the state fairgrounds. Correct, Paul? Yes, yeah, we've been there two years now and uh, plan on staying over there. The parking's great, and it's having all our attendees happy, finally. Yeah, good. It's uh, it, Everybody knows how to get to the state fairgrounds, don't they, Paul? <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, uh, what, 2 million people a year, I think, they get through the door, so. Well, Paul. Uh, we don't have quite that many. Yeah, WCCO has learned that yesterday was the musky opener, and uh, you know, it seems like a lot of years musky opener wasn't that big a deal with the hardcore musky guys that kind of wait for the heat a little later in the year. Uh, but now we've had these warm Junes, and this is another example where it, it sure seems like I'm hearing a lot of good musky fishing reports around opener. What's your report? How did it go for you this weekend? Um, you know, we went out, we started off on Waconia. We were out there at 7 in the morning. There was probably 25 boats out there, so uh, there's plenty of people that are passionate about the sport. We didn't hear of a whole lot of things being hooked up with. A lot of people were seeing fish. We saw, I think, seven we had following, some other ones just cruising by. And you always get big bass and big pike along the way early in the season. And then for the evening, we switched it up to Independence. We were the only boat out on the lake there and uh, fishing was kind of dead. So I'm pretty sure everyone that was out there packed it up early and called it quits and told all their friends that were going to do the <laughs> evening bite, get out of there. And uh, today we did Nokomis. We switched it up for Tigers. I had a, a guy from the Twin Cities chapter that was guiding out there, and uh, he got a nice one right at the beach there as we were taking off. And, um, yeah, I think there was probably 200 people in the water and, they're screaming and splashing, and we're 50 yards away, and everyone was oblivious to us even being there. I don't think a single person in the water noticed, you know, him with this big muskie, you know, literally 50 yards over to the side of where everyone's swimming. So it was kind of funny, and yeah, just a great end to a beautiful day out there. And yesterday was the same. I was afraid we'd have a lot of the jet skis and wake boats and that, and uh, and it was quiet on both the lakes. So I think. Waconia was just getting hopping as we were leaving with all the recreational traffic. So, well, you know, Paul, we I, I want I, Paul. I'd like to point something out here, and that's that all these lakes you just cited are, you know, a stone's throw, maybe a little more a stone's throw, but not too far of a drive from where I'm sitting in downtown Minneapolis. We have got fantastic musky fishing, some of the best musky fishing in the world, right, right here in the in the Greater Twin Cities metro area. That's it's pretty incredible. It's amazing. Next weekend, I'm putting on the Metro Muskie Tournament. We have 23 lakes in there, and I have some other tiger lakes that I've never included in it. But, uh, yeah, there's world-class fishing. Minnetonka, I mean, people come from all over the country to hit that. That's a destination fishery. 
and uh, it used to be vermilion and Malax were like that. Those have both kind of waned as far as the peak that we saw, you know, early 2000s through about 2010 or 12, and um, Minnetonka has soaked up some of that pressure, especially from locals. But it's uh, it's noted. It's a great destination, and you know, I think they started stocking out there in '87. So um, the DNR has a lot to be proud of with some of these fisheries and just. It's unique having this many great lakes in an urban setting like that. There's nothing in the country that compares. One reason we've got some great fishing is because we stocked the Leech Lake muskie strain. Back, way back, I don't know how far back you got to go, Paul. You'd probably know. They had the Shupak strain that came from a lake up in the Cabotogama Peninsula. Uh, that's what they stocked. They ran smaller. Somewhere in there they said, you know what, this Mississippi River Leech Lake strain is bigger, and that's what the DNR started stocking. And by golly, uh, that's why we, we broke the record here, right, for muskies 18 months ago, roughly? Was, was yeah. it uh, November of 2021, I think? Yes, yep, yep. They had one uh, that was caught that beat out one from Lake Winnipegosh from the 50s, so mm-hmm. uh, and that was off Mille Lacs, and then they have a catch-and-release division, and that one was also broken, and that was the first one was November then this last June, uh, gentleman Eric Bakke got a 58 and a quarter incher up on Mille Lacs. Um, I think about two weeks into the season last year, giant fish, and he put it back so it's still out there for someone That's to awesome. try and beat him out of the record. <laughs> you know, Paul, another thing you have mentioned a couple times is tigers. There might be people out there listening, what's he talking about, tigers? Uh, that's. Do we still stock tiger muskies? Is that specific to maybe some of these Minneapolis lakes? They're a hybrid between uh, the uh, the native muskie and northern pike, correct? It is, yes. yeah, and, and they still stock those. I think we started off with 29 lakes in the metro area. And, uh, the tiger fishery, the hybrid pike, you know, muskie hybrid uh, fishery here got kind of national attention and um, there was so many, you know, mid 40 inch fish coming out of some of these were just essentially stormwater holding ponds around town. And they've slowly whittled that back where, you know, where these little metro ponds have been eliminated. And I believe now the list is down to eight from that original 29. Um, but they're stocking a few more fish in them. Uh, but it's just, a, it's a lot of uh, smaller gear that you're using, you know, medium heavy bass tackle and. Mm bass lures and you know the fish they're as beautiful as any fish in fresh water and they fight like crazy and and they grow um, fast right they tend to yeah yeah they do i think that by about seven or eight years of age they're dead and gone where a true strain will go 15 years some of them 20 years mm-hmm. uh, so i think they've focused more on putting pure strain in um but yeah some of these little gems around town and you know the dnr keeps a pretty accurate list of they're stocking on their Lake Lab site, um, you know, so people can get on there and kind of pick and choose where their best chances are. I'm focusing a lot on four, five, and six-year-old fish, you know, when I'm looking at stocking reports. Those are the quality ones we're after. And um, Yeah, there's just some fun options, you know, like I said, with Nokomis being a trolling motor-only lake, but there's quite a few of them with Jarvis and Clear Lake up by Forest Lake and, you know, a few of them scattered around town still that have big ones and, you know, they consistently produce. 
You listen to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. Rob Jerusalem. We're chatting with Paul Hartman. He owns the Minnesota Muskie Expo. And what's your website? Is it mnmuskie.com? Is that where folks get more information on that event and the, the 2024 dates? Yes, yeah, uh, mnmuskieexpo.com. And then you also have, I'm sure, a strong Facebook page, too. I tell you what, I, I want to go a little longer on this segment and talk to you about a story on today's Star Tribune website and, and in the print version, you were quoted extensively in the piece, Paul, and I appreciate how sure. candid you were with Dennis Anderson. I will also tip the hat to Dennis. I thought he had a really good story there talking about you know, what does all this this uh, forward-facing sonar, what does this live sonar mean for the future of fishing? It's something I have talked about on this show. I've talked about on some other podcasts I'm involved in. Uh, Tim Lesmeister was with me on this show several weeks ago. He and I argued about it a little bit. Uh, I am making the point that I'm hearing from other anglers that uh, this is a game changer. Uh, this is pretty big technology where a guy can just use this scanning technology to uh, pinpoint the location of a fish and cast to it. Uh, and if there's no fish there, you just move the boat. And, you know, Dennis pointing out in his story that, and, and my friend uh, Glenn Schmidt, who writes the Minnesota Outdoor News Fishing Report, I, I was talking to him and he said, I see all these people driving around. They're not fishing. They're looking at their screens trying to find fish, and then they'll cast to them. Um, do, you th- do you agree that this is a, a fishing game changer, Paul? Uh, it definitely is. I mean, if you think back 20 years ago, they came out with uh, – underwater cameras and everyone's saying we got to ban them you know they're going to wreck the fisheries people got them and they realized you really didn't have a good way to see the screen um you couldn't see the details it's great in an ice shack where you can see everything but these i mean on the screen things show up and you can tell a group of crappies from a group of sunfish you can tell you know muskies from walleyes from bass but it's all in real time so i mean you can really focus in and i mean the guys who are good at it they are unbeatable they're they're phenomenal but it takes someone to you know kind of forfeit fishing to be the guy sitting in front of the screen and mm-hmm. um yeah you you, you, you made know. the point in the story that two guys working in tandem can be really really effective with this technology yes yeah and there's uh, i know a couple guys that have they'll have three units one facing forward and then one out to each side and they'll cruise along and the guy driving the boat's looking forward and there'll be a guy looking out each side then too um so they essentially they can cover you know just i mean miles and miles of brake line if the fish are relating to any sort of structure like that and those guys you know they move along at three or four miles an hour and trolling you can troll past fish just doing exactly what they're doing, um, but you don't have the triggering ability that you do when you're specifically targeting a fish like this. And, Paul, and Paul I've, I have, that are doing this. I've had guys, guides out there, including some that Dennis quoted today, Tony Roach, had told me, I bet 18 months ago, Tony said, Rob, I am so effective with this technology, I can't believe it. And when everybody is using this, I don't know what it means for our fisheries. And uh, Dennis quoting Bob Lassard. Bob wanted to, to ban uh, the Lawrence, the, the green box back in the day. And I remember Bob had a bill to ban the camera 20 years ago. And, and none of that passed. I can't imagine any legislation is going to ban this this technology. You made the point that, you know, folks can boycott it or they can embrace it. But I, I liked your point that you made that, uh, you know, no one's going to give you any credit for, for not using it. Uh, you're just not going to be probably as effective as a lot of other guys. Uh, what, what does this mean for fishing? What does this mean for musky fishing? 
Does this potentially mean lower limits long-term for some species when the price point comes down on these units and everybody's using them? Uh, I don't know if it does because, I mean, here again, you have to – you got to be a good team with a lot of time on your hands to learn to use this stuff. And once you learn to use it, I, it sucks being the guy sitting there not fishing. <laughs> I mean, uh, muskies are a hard enough fish to catch, but then to be the guy sitting on the sidelines, I, I mean, not many people. So everyone wants to be casting, actively engaged in the hunt, you know, fishing. Mm-hmm. And there's, a, you know, it takes a certain breed of people that are willing to, to go to that length and now they're going to catch more fish, but I don't know that you have more fun. I mean, a muskie, a big muskie fights two minutes. Right. And, uh, you know, guys with live scope, if you throw to 10 fish a day, you may throw 40 casts for the whole day. And if you catch two of those fish, you get four minutes of actual fighting a fish. So it's a lot of just loafing around in a boat. But but guys are doing it, Paul, right? Guys yeah, are doing it. I mean, I, I, you know, Schmitty told me up on Leech. He, that's all he's, he sees all these boats. That's all they're doing is staring at the screen. I mean, you made the point in your story too. Um, I, I appreciate your optimism, and I, <laughs> I yeah. hope you're right. And I've heard that from some of my bass fishing buddies too. That you know what they're saying it's not a game changer. The amount of time you have to put into it, uh, people aren't actually fishing. They're staring at their screens. Well, I don't know. Given the popularity, Paul, we're down to our our, our last minute here, Paul. So I'm going to have to wrap up. But I'll, yeah. I'll give you I'll give you the final thought here. Go ahead. Uh, for me, I, I prefer to hunt the old fashioned way. You know, get out there and pursue them. It is going to be an issue though, and and the resource can only handle so much pressure. And right now, I think we're kind of at that point where right. everything is really getting hit hard. And you know, Waconia was a good indicator. Minnetonka was a zoo yesterday. I mean, there's a lot of people in this sport, so. You gotta take care of the fish first, and I mean, everyone wants a picture, but some of it's still just fair chase. So yeah, yeah, that's the other thing—the Instagramization of the world, where everybody wants to publish their results immediately, and it's not so much about the chase anymore. We, I'm, unfortunately, we don't have time to get into that too deep. Well, Paul, thanks for all you do to promote musky fishing. Good luck with the musky expo at mnmuskyexpo.com. Is that right? It is. For sure. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time here. Well, good luck this uh, open water season, and uh, good luck with the event. I'm sure we'll talk to you between now and then. Sounds great. Thank you. All right. Take care. Paul Hartman, hardcore muskie fisherman. He runs the Minnesota Muskie Expo. Let's break. We'll close out this week's broadcast. When we return, you're listening to WCCO Outdoors. Final segment, everybody, of WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I am Rob Dreesline. Appreciate folks spending the past hour with me here. We had a couple great guests. We talked uh, mountain biking in the Three Rivers Park District, and we also talked muskie fishing with Paul Hartman from the Minnesota Muskie Expo. Uh, Sounds like the season is off to uh, maybe a a semi-slow start a little bit. But uh, I'm sure it's going to pick up. And, of course, when that water cools in the the early fall, that's when those guys really go haywire uh, chasing the muskies. A uh, couple quick thoughts as we wrap up. A headline that I heard late in the week that I think we're going to monitor and probably, I'll probably talk about in more detail next week. We've talked a lot about Asian carp, silver carp. Uh, there's four species working their way up the Mississippi River. And last week I was sharing, you know, the, 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 there's been an effort to, you know, should we build a barrier, some sort of sound barrier at Lock and Dam 5 down in Winona to try to stop their advancement, which, by the way, I'm bitter because that means that means Pool 6 where I grew up is, is we're just writing that off. But anyway, 
that did not pass in the legislature. There is some money that got passed to, I think, do more study and maybe you know can, some of it potentially could be used for the barrier. Dennis Anderson, again, wrote about this on Friday. i got to tip my hat to Dennis. He had back-to-back very good pieces here, newsy pieces, uh, between that one and then the um, uh, the, the, the side-viewing, side um, live-scoping piece that I just mentioned while I interviewed Paul Hartman. But we had heard this, too, that apparently these silver carp are at the gate. I mean, they're they're jumping right at below lock and dam five now. And uh, so, again, we get into this, is it too late to even stop these things? And I, I'm going to have one of my guys check to see if what's happening downriver, like uh, in Pool 6, uh, the trumpelow between Winona and La Crosse, are these Asian carp going absolutely haywire, haywire uh, in, in that pool already? So a uh, big, big story that continues to develop on the Mississippi River and has a lot of ramifications for a lot of for our Minnesota waterways, the Minnesota River, uh, the St. Croix, and uh, and all the way on upstream. Uh, there's a little final good news I'll, I'll mention. It's not like fishing licenses had a nice bounce uh, up over the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we had a story about that in Outdoor News, so uh, check that out. And I saw the DNR issued a press release late last week about the Minnesota Loon Monitoring Program. They're looking for volunteers uh, if you want to go out and help the agency monitor loons. Who doesn't like loons, our state bird? Check that out. Go to mndnr.gov and just uh, search Loon Monitoring Program. You hear the music. I'm out of time. Stay tuned for 60 minutes. And then uh, at 7 o'clock, still talking with Gerald Steele. Thank you to all the guests. Thank you all the listeners. Everybody have a great week out of doors. Rob Dreesline signing off for WCCO Outdoors.